It's great to have all of you here today. And uh, how many of you were here last weekend for Easter? Wasn't that awesome? Wow. We had, uh, from Good Friday through Easter, we had over 5,300 people on campus. We had another 1,200 plus of you online. We're glad you're with us. And 164 people accepted Christ last weekend. So praise God for that. What a great time of transformation. And uh, we talked about the fact that uh, the angel told Jesus' followers when they came to the tomb, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Remember that? Just as he said. Say that. And we made the claim that if Jesus could say about himself he was going to rise from the dead, and he did it just as he said, then he was going to do everything he said just as he said. And so I want to kind of carry that thought over to this weekend. If you have the CLC app, you can follow along. Uh, There's an outline there, and the title of the message is the same as the first point. I want to talk about ordinary people living out an extraordinary purpose, and that would be us. And one of the things that Jesus also promised uh, was in John chapter chapter 15, verse 16. And to understand this promise, let's go back to the first one uh, that I talked about. In John 10, 10, it's not on the screen, but Jesus said, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. As we unpacked abundant life, there are many dimensions of that. And one of the key dimensions of an abundant life is having a sense of purpose. There is an answer to why am I here and living a fruitful life, not feeling like you're just wasting life going through the motions. And so with that said, Jesus promised in John 15, verse 16, He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and anointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Jesus chose you to live a fruitful life of a life of purpose. And that whole idea of you didn't choose him, he chose you. Joyce and I were talking about that. She says, you know, it's a little confusing that, okay, you didn't really choose him, he chose you. How does that work? I said, well, it's kind of like, you know, when I met you and I, I asked you on a date, you had to say yes. And in Revelation, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, but you've got to open the door. And so that sense I need to accept Christ was indeed Christ choosing you inviting you to a relationship, but then you still had to say yes. And as he has invited you and you have said yes, then he's all about seeing you live a fruitful life in every dimension of life. And uh, so when we talk about living a fruitful life, uh, the Bible says that uh, that abundance is ours. And sociologists tell us that uh, purpose is good for you physically, mentally, emotionally, and relationally. And so it just makes sense that that's what Christ promises to us. And the problem is when we want to live a sense of purpose, my life matters. We struggle with, okay, how do I make my life matter? How many billions of people, eight billion people in the world? And I think all of us are wired, if we're creating the image of God, that there there is something about it when we see injustice, it bothers us. When, When we see extreme poverty, our heart goes out to people or people that don't even have clean water accessible to them. People who, uh, who are being oppressed and there's, there's just this, somebody needs to do something about that and we want to make that difference. How, have you, how many of you have ever felt that sense of anguish or stirring? I wish I could do something, all right? Um, the great thing is that when it comes to making a difference, uh, I can't do anything personally that I know of to help right now the crisis in Sudan. Just stand dark. There are ha- things happening in the Middle East I'm powerless over and, and whatnot. But, but Jesus didn't call you to be one Christian following him. He called you to be part of his family, the body of Christ. And together we can make a difference. And so I want to unpack today, and I've invited an expert to help us understand it even further. Uh, but I want to unpack today how together we are making a difference. And I want you to help me make this point. Okay, so uh, I know you're all comfortable and they're just sitting there in your seat, maybe sipping your coffee, okay? I'm gonna interrupt that, okay? So just go ahead and moan. Just go ahead, get up, and then stand up, okay? Everybody stand up. And I want you to, to, to you're gonna get your fingers out like this, your pointers, and they're loaded, okay? Bam, bam, okay? One is extraordinary purpose, uh, and the other one is I'm sorry, extraordinary together, and the other is all over the world. Okay, so say extraordinary together. together. All over the world. world. Do it again. Extraordinary together. together. All over the world. Okay, now I want you to go to four different people, and depending on what you, if you say extraordinary uh, uh, together, then the the other one goes all over the world. All right, and if they say that, then you say, so you got it? So you're going to say one or the other, depending on who shoots first. Okay, all right. Extraordinary together, all over the world. Go.
Turn there together. <laughs> All right, go ahead and have a seat. You know, I happen to think with summer coming, that would be a fun exercise to do if we gave you all squirt guns, wouldn't it? And just have a fun time in church. All right. Well, the way that God has called Christian Life Center to be extraordinary together all over the world, uh, we have a mission statement that is our reason for being. Repeat after me. To know God, to be His people, to value others, and to change our world. And that's almost cumulative as you know God personally and you're in that relationship. And then to be his people, there, there are expectations and changes that happen in us. And then you can't be his people without valuing others. And as you do that, we change our world a person at a time. And, and so the, the second point that I want to deal with today is that something catalytic happened at CLC in 2008. And that was during the worst economy since the Great Depression. Remember that? It's hard to believe that, that, that uh, 2008 is that long ago. And uh, Joyce and I were at a mission seminar in Florida with a group called Book of Hope. Uh, they get the Bible out worldwide. And I uh, went to bed. We were going to leave the next morning. And I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Many of you heard this story. And I couldn't fall asleep, so I prayed until 7. I really felt God was laying things on my heart. And we got up and I said, you know what? I think God's kind of given me some sense of direction for the next five to seven years for CLC. But we had to catch a plane. So I'll tell you when we get in the, on the plane. So we hurried up, got to the airport. And the first time I drew what you're going to see, I drew on the back of a boarding pass. And I'm not super nostalgic, but I wish I kept that boarding pass. Okay, I had no idea the providence of that. Um, but anyways, uh, we formulated a God-sized vision. That was in February. And then we worked at it as a board and leadership team for several months. The first time I preached this was in 2008. Uh, but our vision at Christian Life Center, and, and this is actually one of, the, one of the original foam core boards I drew it on. At that time, we had four services on the weekend. We had Saturday night and then three on Sunday because our sanctuary was about a third of the seating that we have in here. So we had to have multi more, even more services. Uh, but it's building the church, that's kind of my abbreviation, math sign, changing our world, a GSV, God-sized vision for CLC. In 2008, I said this will take us about the next five to seven years. It did, and then in 2015, we did GSV 2.0, and now we're doing GSV 3.0. It's based on Acts 1.8, and Acts 1.8 are some of the last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth, UMP. Now, that doesn't mean much to us if we don't understand New Testament geography, but Jerusalem is right where they were, and so that's right where they're doing life. So on the count of three, I want you to say either the street you live on or the township or the suburb you live in. Ready? One, two, three. Okay? That's your Jerusalem, all right? This is your Jerusalem, where you eat, where you shop, where you do business, where you work, all right? And so he wants us to be witnesses there. Judea, the Bible says in Acts that the church spread across the countryside through Judea. That's church multiplication. I'll talk more about that later. Samaria, Samaritans were similar but different from the Jews. A lot of, a lot of prejudice and animosity between them. I'll talk more about that later. But uttermost parts of the earth is where I want to land today. And that's the nations all around the world. For in Jesus' day, Dayton, Ohio was the uttermost parts compared to Jerusalem, all right? Well, now in, in Dayton, you look around internationally and the places that are troubled, the places that we don't know what's going on or what to do. That's who Christ has called us to make a difference. Those places we feel powerless to make a difference unless we make that difference together. And so in 2008, let me peel this off. What I drew was we support about 150 missions and missionaries and relief organizations around the world. Uh, we had lots of missions trips to Latin America. And we just started a partnership in Africa in Estland, Swaziland. They've now changed the name to Eswatini. And our, our goal there was to, to build a church, find a community, build a church, do holistic ministry, uh, not just preaching the gospel for spiritual needs, but also education, health care, those kinds of things. Uh, and we wanted to, to partner with that community and see that community and that church change over time. That was our goal, 2008. And that we'd be happy with that. So we built a church. We built a home for the pastor. Um, at the time, the pastor was walking quite some distance on paths just to get to the house. And then we have a couple of buildings that serve as preschools. At the time, it cost us about $125,000 to build that. Uh, and uh, you can reach a community of about 1,500 people, have up to 200 people attending those churches, in, in each church. So our goal was to build a church. 
And how many of you know that sometimes God leads you in a direction and he's got more in mind? All right. Uh, well, he did. And a, a verse that I've quoted all throughout my tenure and it, it kind of came back and hit me in the face. To him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or think. I thought it'd be great to go to Africa and find a community and build a church and partner with that church and see it change over time. A little did I know that uh, as the God-sized vision from 2008 to now 2023, that we wouldn't have a church, but we have 30 churches that we've built. So give God a hand for that. And 28 of them are already self-sustaining. That's the key. We don't want them donor-dependent that if we pull back, uh, they can't survive. And uh, so those 30 churches, uh, in the meantime, we also sponsor children. This church alone sponsors between 800 and 900 children in those preschools. Uh, give, yeah, give yourself a hand. For $27 a month, you, you give the kids a meal five days a week and uniforms, and we pay for their school supplies and their preschool teacher. And they go into then uh, elementary school way ahead of their peers. Uh, beyond that, we have sent millions of fortified rice meals. We've sent about 600,000 a year, where I think over six or seven million meals we've sent. Uh, beyond that, though, it's not just Africa. And Patrick mentioned these booklets. Pick one of these up. I love reading it. And it is a great booklet once you read it. Give it to a skeptic that says, all churches want is your money, okay? Well, kind of, yeah, because we want to reinvest and give it away, okay? Um, at CLC, we give away about a third of the money that you just gave uh, to other ministries. And you'll see in here that uh, in inter international ministries alone last year, uh, beyond what we did with our ICBCs and Eswatini, we, I hate to say give away because really investing, we invested a million dollars in other ministries around the world. So you have helped to put uh, wells in communities that have no water. You have helped to, to ministries that help people do self-sustaining, learn how to be self-sustaining, give them microloans to perform their own business. Uh, you have invested in World Vision and their community development that they do, uh, Samaritan's Purse, reaching out to Middle Eastern refugees. Um, all those things you have done when you give. And Paul makes it very clear in the fourth chapter of Philippians that when we give to missions, we are partnering in ministry together. And so you are an ordinary person like me, but together we have an extraordinary purpose because God has called us and is using us as the church to partner with other people who have said yes to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so I am thrilled about making that kind of impact. Now we're not done yet. Tell your neighbor, we're not done yet. So over this next God-sized vision run, the next five to seven years, our goal is to finish out the mission in Eswatini and we have 30 ICBC churches. Our goal is to plant 60 of those ICBC churches. They cost just over $50,000 to plant that, to build the church, the pastor's home, put the preschool in, and we also give them a well. So just over 50 grand for that. We also need to sponsor children with that. So we'll go from 800 and some kids to 2,400 kids being sponsored. Do the math. That's great. Go ahead and clap. Good. Because now you clapped. You got to help me. All right. Um, that's more than we have attending. So we need to become contagious and tell our friends and family and coworkers that don't go here, may not even be Christians. Hey, you want to sponsor your kid with us? 27 bucks a month. So we'll need to be like, raise up other sponsors because over the next five to seven years, 2,400 kids we're going to, we're going to do. Uh, beyond that, our goal is to pack another 4 million plus fortified rice meals uh, that we'll send overseas. Uh, and, and we have a thriving partnership that we're just getting going in a with A Child's Hope, kind of like an ICBC in Latin America. Uh, and there are partnerships you can read in, in this booklet that we are involved in all around the world. We will give millions of dollars over the next uh, five to seven years. And would you say LRFG? I'll let you try to guess what that stands for, okay? Um, leave room for God. Because we believe God is going to do some amazing things beyond what we ask or think, including the uttermost parts of the earth. We are not helpless or powerless about things overseas, internationally. No, we can do great things in prayer and in giving and in partnering and in going. And the three words we used on our God's Vision 2.0, would you say everybody prays? Everybody gives? Everybody goes. Now, everybody obviously goes here and here and here. Not everybody will go overseas, but at least everybody prays about going. 
And so here's just a brief video to give you a flyby of some of the things we are doing as part of an ordinary folks with an extraordinary purpose with a God-sized vision. Watch this. If you give regular to CLC, I want you to smile real big. I take a nice deep breath. <sighs> because God used you to do that. Ordinary people, extraordinary purpose all over the world. And uh, I'm going to slip out in just a moment because uh, God also brought the uttermost parts of the world to us. We have a group called our Habeshaw group. They're from Ethiopia and Eritrea. Really difficult area of the world right now. And uh, we met with folks from World Vision last week. And so I, I need their help picking a place that we're going to help drill wells over there in communities that need that. And I'll be back in the service. Uh, but it's my pleasure. In fact, you also, I, I want to note that you gave a few hundred thousand dollars to help build that oxygen plant. Uh, when COVID hit, people were dying. There just was no oxygen available in Eswatini with our partners. And so we were able to help them with that and uh, really save lives. And um, as I was telling uh, one of our safety team members about our guest today, I said, Greg Mundus is with you. He goes, isn't that the guy we prayed for? I said, yes. Um, Greg Mundus has been a friend of mine for decades. He's been a missionary and involved in missions work for 45 years. CLC supported he and his wife uh, for decades as well in Europe. Uh, and uh, thank God, uh, back when COVID hit, Greg was in a coma and in ICU for almost two months, but has recovered. God brought him back from that. He is an expert in world affairs from a spiritual dimension. So I asked him to come and speak to uh, that uttermost parts aspect to, to increase our heart and our awareness and our enthusiasm for what's happening. He is the um, executive director of Assemblies of God World Missions. Would you give a warm CLC welcome to Greg Mundus? Good morning. Good morning. It's awesome to be here at church, at least for me. Hey, uh, I just want to say thank you, too. Thanks, Pastor, for uh, sharing that. I was the first patient that was admitted into a hospital in Springfield, Missouri, with COVID-19. I, I got it from a French or a European delegation that came over, didn't know they had it. Uh, I went in March the 16th. They gave me a 10% chance to live through the night. I was immediately intubated and put in a coma. And there were 14 things I'd like to share with you. I had infection with the deadly virus, emergent intubation, pulmonary failure, blood clots in arms and legs, cardiac complications from experimental medications, gastrointestinal infection, bilateral secondary pneumonia, acute respiratory distress syndrome, acute kidney failure, dialysis fungemia, which is infection in the blood, sepsis, tracheostomy, bed sores, and post-sedation delirium which my wife still thinks I have. <laughs> but the saints of God prayed, and, and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through, uh, 8 through 11, talks about how the prayers of many can make a difference. And I know that many of you uttered or said a word or a sentence prayer for me, and I want you to know, I don't know what long COVID is. I don't know how, I don't have any after effects because God totally healed me to his glory and honor and thank you. Isn't it awesome? God is a healing God. Amen. Hey, I wanna share with you today uh, uh, the state of the world, at least from a missions perspective. From a missions perspective, the state of the world. Now, in the Assemblies of God, we have 2,700 missionaries serving in 190 countries around the world. That represents 370,000 churches in this worldwide network with over 70 million people that would claim to be a part of the Assemblies of God around the world in those 190 or so countries. When you think that in uh, 1914, 300 people gathered together to say, hey, we want to raise up uh, a body of believers to be the greatest evangelism for him that the world has ever known. Over these last 109 years, God has done absolute, now that's a God-sized vision. 
So in all of that, God has done just amazing things through the 20th and early here into the 21st century. And so when you look at that, you see that God is at work in the world. And that's just one denomination, one fellowship uh, in the kingdom of God. And we are so thankful for what he has done and for that prophetic word. And it's based on Jesus' last words. In the gospels, in Matthew, it was go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Acts, as pastor has shared with us, go and be my witnesses because you will receive power in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And here we are in a world that is absolutely chaotic today. I mean, I've lived a number of decades and uh, I've never seen the world in the condition we're in right now, where the war, the conflict, the drought, the famine, the morals that are absolutely decaying on every continent. And believe me, when you've been a missionary and been outside the United States and come back, you can't believe that the United States has gone downhill so fast. It's crazy. I was in a missionary in Europe and Europe had absolutely like the bottom level of morals. But when I came back to the United States, it's like, Lord, have mercy. Where is the church? Where is the witness? Where is the, is the power of God? And I am so thankful that CLC is a witness in this community. Thank you for being a witness in this community. Now, in our world, we have 17,000 people groups, which have their own distinct language, their, their customs, their culture, uh, their worldview. And 7,000 of them are groups that have not yet had the opportunity to have a clear witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, an adequate witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I describe them this way, three no's, not K-N-O-W, just N-O. And I want you to say them with me. First of all, they have no church. No church, help me here, no church, no Bible, no witness. Let's do it one more time so it sinks in a little bit. These are 7,000 people groups making up 3.2 billion people that have no church, no Bible, and no witness. Now think of the opportunity we have here in the United States. You come to church and hear pastors stand every week and you hear the gospel. You can turn on the radio. You can turn on the television. You can look uh, uh, in literature. You have Bibles. You probably have a dozen Bibles at home. Or you may have 30 Bibles on your phone. And these dear people, 2 billion Muslims, 1.2 billion Hindus and Buddhists, many of them, most of them, in those 7,000 people groups that have the three no's. So when we look at the state of the world, we need, we need Jesus Christ because he is the hope of the world. Now that's the state of the world, but the state of the church, God is doing things, absolutely incredible things. Let me share just kind of a macro view of what God is doing. For years, Christians and missionaries have gone into the Muslim world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they've been very, very resistant to the gospel. I can't tell you the numbers of missionaries from all kinds of different fellowships and organizations that have sent missionaries there, but came back and for years of effort have seen only small numbers of Muslims becoming Christians and giving their, giving their lives and, and placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in a book called The Wind of the Spirit in the House of Islam, an author states in the last 20 years, in the last 20 years, between two and seven million Muslims have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, which is absolutely incredible. It happens because of a couple reasons. Number one, God is at work, and the Holy Spirit is still hovering in our world and doing his work of convicting people of their sins. But it's also because the church of Jesus Christ is sending missionaries, is sending people to incarnate Christ in their cultures. Let me tell you just about one slice uh, of what we're doing in the Assemblies of God World Missions. What that is, is we, in the Middle East, 
have uh, a mission, a missionary that served there probably 40, 40 plus years. And one of his disciples caught an incredible vision of God. They got a God-sized vision, Pastor Stan. And that, and, that, and that brother just said, God can do more than what I can think. So he started preaching and praying under incredible persecution, but continued doing that. And he started cell groups. And these cell groups consist of four people. Maybe, maybe more, depending, but at least four people. And to get into the cell group, you have to proclaim that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You, you, you share with your mouth, you believe in your heart. Secondly, you have to get baptized. Wasn't that awesome? Hey, that's awesome. All the angels of heaven are rejoicing. So you have to be baptized. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And number four, you have to win somebody to Jesus Christ before you're allowed to be in the cell group. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? So God began doing a work through these small groups. Today, in the last 10 to 15 years, there are presently 60,000 prayer groups like that of former Muslims that are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in four little groups per group. Isn't that awesome? It's because God is at work. You know, see, what the devil means for evil, God can turn to good. Always. 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 And so the Lord's doing amazing things, and yet there's so much more to do. I can't help but think of a, 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 predecessor, a predecessor of mine that made a statement that uh, has really stuck with me. He says, what, he, he, it goes like this. He says, you don't measure yourself by your success. We're thankful for success, right? We're thankful for the report. But you don't measure yourself by your success. You measure yourself against the unfinished task. What's left to do? What do we have to do so that every tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue, as Revelations 5, 9, and 7, 9 says, that we'll be worshiping around the Lord. What do we have to do? We have a job to do. And with your God-sized vision, you're helping to fulfill that job, that mandate of our Lord Jesus Christ. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. So think of this when we talk about the state of the world. Of the billions of spiritually lost in our world and the billions that remain completely unreached, the three no's, what are they? No church, no Bible, no witness. Of those three no's, there are 130, get this, there are 134 million people that are born each year. That's 463,000 per day. And 37% of them, 171,000 Babies that will be born today are born in that unreached world, those 7,000 groups that have no Bible, no church, no witness. When they grow up, how are they going to hear? The Bible says, how will they hear unless they are sent? And, what are, and unless we send them, unless we give, unless we pray, unless we go, They'll never be able to hear. And it's like a generation from you guys that you'll have to rise up and say, hey, we're going to take hold of the handle and we're going to say, we're going to share the gospel with some of those unreached people groups. And I believe God's going to raise up some of you to do that. Amen. No, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Because I believe there's a prophetic touch on all of our lives. As pastor said, we're ordinary people. Prophets were ordinary people that the Spirit of God came on and it changed their life. So I'm praying that the Spirit of God comes all over you and that some of you will say, look, I can be a businessman and support missions. Others will say, hey, I'm going to be a teacher and work in the inner city. Some will say, hey, I'm going to be a missionary and go to one of these unreached people groups. I believe it. That kind of that kind of prophetic word on your life. Also, think of this. 69 million people die each year. 189,000 daily. 
31% of them live in those 7,000 people groups. That's 58,600 people that walk the precipice and fall off into eternity. No Bible, no church, no witness. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard the gospel in my life. I'm gospel rich, and people are gospel poor. The state of the world is we have the haves and have-nots, not only physically, not only economically, but spiritually. Jesus, help us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus, help us to be in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, but God help us to go into the uttermost parts of the earth. Let me tell you a couple stories real quick. Crimea, Ukraine. Before the Ukrainian war and before Crimea was annexed away from Ukraine, our missionaries and people here in the United States began praying for Crimea. You see, that little peninsula in the Black Sea was under Muslim control for 500 years. There's a group of people there called the Tatar. And our missionaries and some people that were praying, that became a tremendous burden on their heart that there were not many believers in that peninsula, not many people that uh, could confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they knew of no really evangelical Pentecostal churches. And so they determined to get a, a missionary in there and to begin to, to establish a beachhead. So Lord opened the door, he got into a university. How many know at the same time, though, that God is working behind the scenes? You know, I love that song, Waymaker. Even when you don't see that God's working, even though you don't feel God's working, he's working. And I want, I want you to take that as a promise today in your lives. You may be in a situation where you don't see God working, you don't feel God working, but if you're praying and believing God is working, God is working, take it as a promise today. And that's what happened in Crimea. So our missionary is in the country, but a Muslim lady gets very sick and goes to a Christian Orthodox hospital. She gets there and uh, she's examined and told that she has a critical illness and is going to die. So her husband, of course, is heartbroken. He goes home. He talks with his uh, little five-year-old son who has never walked uh, and his family, and he collects some money for the funeral. He goes back into her room, fully expecting that she would be gone. But instead, she's standing at the edge of the bed, putting on her clothes. And so he goes, what are you doing? She goes, I'm going home. He said, you're dying. She said, I'm going home because the doctor's been here today. And he said, I could go home. He goes, this is crazy. So he goes out to the nurse's station. The nurses come in and say, what are you doing? She goes, I'm going home. She said, the nurse says, you're dying. She goes, I'm going home. The doctor was here, said I could go home. And the nurse says, no doctor has been here today. Get back in bed. She goes, nope, he was here, I'm going home. So she's walking down the hallway of this Orthodox hospital, and on the wall is a picture of Jesus knocking at the door. She happens to look at it. She goes, that's my doctor. And, and, and... <laughs> The nurses go, that's not, a, that's not a doctor, that's Jesus. He's in Christianity. The lady goes, I don't know who you think he is, but he was in my room, and that's Dr. Jesus. And he said, go home. So she goes home. She gets in bed. Before she goes to sleep, she utters a little prayer. And the prayer is something like this. Dr. Jesus, would you heal my son? In the middle of the night, the father wakes up, the little boy's running up and down the steps and Dr. Jesus healed her son. Now, get this, Muslim doesn't know about the Bible, doesn't know about Christianity, but it has a dream or a vision and an experience and God has done something marvelous in her life. But where do you go from there? Without a teacher, without a preacher, without a discipler, that person is gonna be lost. It was just a great experience. But beautifully, they connect 
the mayor of the city opens his home up. They have a meeting in the home for first evangelical Pentecostal believers, and that begins to spread across Crimea, and 30 churches were established in that time before the war. Isn't that cool? Because God goes ahead. God goes ahead. Listen to this. Years later, after the, after the war in Ukraine starts, our Pentecostal church in Poland sees on the horizon that refugees are going to be coming out. So they buy a warehouse, stock it, get all their pastors to get their cars at the border, and when the refugees start coming in, the pastors take them from the border to their churches where they remove, remove the pews so that, and put mattresses down so they could sleep. And because of the warehouse, they could feed them and take care of them. Our partners in the Lord in that Pentecostal church. But get this, in the leader of the German Assemblies of God church says, look, there's all these, about a million Ukrainians went into Germany. He says, what can we do? What can we do for them? The best thing is to start a church, a local church like you do, uh, have here. And so, so God arranged for them to find pastors that came out of the Ukraine. It was a very Pentecostal, strong movement in that country. They found pastors, and they started 35 Ukrainian churches this past year in Germany, to the glory of God. One more story, real quick. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, I want to take you to this Pacific Islands in a, 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 a island called uh, Vanuatu. It used to be the New Hebrides. Many of those islands have never, ever, think of the word never, had a gospel witness. Never. One of our missionaries stationed there, grew up as a missionary kid in Japan, felt to go to Vanuatu, went there, and started building relationships with different uh, tribal chiefs and, and chiefs of villages. He went to this one village where the chief was kind of uh, the chief over that particular village, but also a group of villages. And the chief said, there's a couple of things I want to tell you, missionary. Number one, don't try to convert me or my people. Number two, we don't want any Bibles. And number three, we don't want your medical or your food. So the missionary said, okay, it's fine. But he kept going back and sharing with him and just creating a friendship. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you wanted to share the gospel and the person was like really hard. You know, I don't want to hear what you have to say. But I'll tell you what, even though they put on this front, the Spirit of God is working. He's working. You don't see it, you don't feel it, but he's working. So one morning, months later, uh, a runner comes to the missionary's house early in the morning and says, missionary, missionary, come. You've got to come and see the chief. So he goes with a national pastor, and they get to that uh, place on the island, which was not easy to get to. He gets there and finds out the chief is really suffering from some sort of illness. He's emaciated from his waist up, and from the waist down, it's just like a balloon. So the missionary talks to him and is encouraging him, and the chief says, listen, I've had all the shamans, all the witches, all the warlocks cast spells, do everything they can to try to get this sickness from me, but I'm dying. Missionary, will you pray for me? Well, what a spot to be in, right? So the missionary says, look, there's two things wrong with you, not only your body, but your soul. Your soul needs to get healed just as much as your body needs to get healed. And you need to know the Jesus that I've been sharing with you about. And he goes, okay. He accepts Christ. The missionary prays for him. He says, I'll be back in two weeks. The oldest son says to him, nope, he won't be alive. In two weeks, he goes back. The chief runs out to greet him and says, missionary, missionary, your God has touched me and I'm okay. And... And uh, he says, this is, this is awesome. Now, the missionary in his mind is thinking, this is an open door to preach the gospel in the village. But the chief said, no, no, I'm the Christian. Everybody else, no, no, no. Two months go by. Another runner comes to the missionary, takes the pastor. He goes back because the chief, he has heard, is very sick again and is dying. It's an oral society, and everybody is standing up and giving 
uh, accolades to the chief and thanking him and every else, everything else. And the missionary thought he would stand up. But the oldest son, who's going to be the next, next chief, says to him, no, missionary, we don't want you. We don't want you talking or saying anything to us. So he sat down and listened, stayed the whole time, and found out when he left about a week later that the chief died. Another runner comes. And the runner says, listen, the, the oldest son, who is now becoming the chief, wants you to come because his father is a Christian and said he died a Christian and he wants a Christian funeral. So they go back, the missionary and the pastor go back. He holds the, holds the service, the Christian service for the father. And the oldest son says to him, listen, listen, listen. My father made the wish not only for him to be a Christian, but he said, open up the village, open up the villages so that you can share the gospel that changed his life. And so God opened up a number of villages through this whole experience because even though we can't see him working, he's working. In your life, in your life, in your marriage, in your children, in your parents, in your neighbors. Be the witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth, because God is working. No matter what the circumstances, God is working. So I urge you, what pastor even alluded to, to pray. Be prayer. Get in your prayer closet. Get in touch with God and see what he wants and how he wants to use you. Secondly, he's, he wants... He wants, his, he wants his church to give. He wants me to give. He wants us to give. And when we give, incredible things from ordinary people like us can, can produce extraordinary things. And number three, he said, go, go. Now, all of us may not go overseas, but we can go to our neighbor. We can go to our friends. We can go to our colleagues. And some of us will go from this church around the world. Thank you. Thank you for coming to church today. I hope you came in faith. I hope you came expecting. I hope you are anticipating that God would do something in your life and in this community and around the world. And I pray that you will go from here. Go from here in faith. I hope your faith is raised. I, I, I hope you go from here expecting. I hope you go from here anticipating that God will do abundantly more than you can even ask or think. And the seeds that you sown will grow up and bear much fruit. I can't help but think how Jesus gave up everything and came to earth and shared with us salvation. Went to the cross. He gave it all. I've asked myself many times, can I do any less? Carl F. Henry said this. He said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. No Bible, no church, no witness. Can we get the gospel there in time? Lord, I thank you for this congregation, Lord, that is so engaged. I thank you for the leadership that has vision and passion for this God-side vision. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your resources, Lord, upon everyone in the sound of my voice, online, in here, Lord. Lord, that the prayers would ascend into the into the very throne room of God and that people would come to know you as Lord and Savior. There would be conviction. There would be salvation. There would be baptisms. There would be baptisms in the Holy Spirit and there would be witnessing. Lord, we give you praise and glory for all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much for the message and what you do. And I'd like for us to personalize that. Again, it's, it's all over the world. It can seem ominous. And uh, as part of our theme of our God-sized vision, yeah, it's everybody prays, everybody. And, that, and when we started the God-sized vision, we started with prayer service. And our, our first Wednesday prayer time came from that. Everybody gives. And when we give, we can do these things we talked about. And everybody goes. When we, when we unpack it, all of us live in our Jerusalem. We'll go there. We'll go here. We'll, we'll go here. And not all of us will go overseas. But at least we pray about going. Uh, but we can still partner with people that are there. And I, I hadn't explained the other services. Um, when you give your tithes, 25% of that goes to this fund. And these, this fund, the God Size Vision Fund, does huge relief projects, 
and it builds capacity for ministries, whether we build a kindergarten school, whether we build a hospital, those kinds of things. But to pay just the ongoing salary to go toward that for missionaries, uh, that's giving to outreach, and that's a separate box on your envelope, but also online. We ask everybody to give something to outreach directly from your, from your finances. But I want us now to just get personal and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, which I believe you will. So I'm asking you just to bow your head with me. Now I'm going to pray a prayer. And I believe that the Lord's going to drop into your spirit, into your mind, a thought. And that's going to become, I hope, your prayer agenda. Holy Spirit, as we have heard about how as ordinary people, you can use us to have an extraordinary purpose and impact. And we celebrate and we're honored and humbled by the things you've been able to do through us. Lord, we listen to Greg's testimonies and we're so thankful for over 2,600 and some of God missionaries around the world that are going to places where people have no church and no Bible and no witness. We're thankful to be women beneath their wings, but we want you to speak to us now. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak in the quietness of this moment to our hearts, to our thoughts, and drop the name of a continent or country in our mind, in our spirit now as we pause. Listen for a country or a continent. Comes to you as a thought. And we ask this in Jesus' name and we pledge ourselves to be faithful. Lord, every time that continent or that country comes to our mind, we'll pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So now take that as the Holy Spirit prompting you and when you think of that country, think of that continent, he's saying pray. So pray for God to, to, to bring a witness. Pray for God to bring the word and pray for God to, to, to bring someone to, to form the church there in that land. And it's one huge way we can make a difference. Stand with us now as we close with a song that declares why we do it in the first place because he is worthy of it all.
You know, back in Old Testament times, they would offer incense as worship to the Lord. And so as we sing this next part, day and night, let our incense arise. That is our worship. Can we just lift our hands all across this place and tell God he is worthy of it all. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, let our worship arise. people can know it. So I have one more actually kind of fun way for you to be the light of the world. Um, every, well, there's serious and fun. Serious way is I want, in addition to whatever country God drops in your spirit, whenever you are watching the news on whatever media or streaming that you watch it or read it, whenever you're exposed to news stories of trouble overseas, I want you to say a prayer for that nation, what's going on. We're just in the back, and, and Greg's been tracking what's happening in Sudan. We have many missionaries that are kind of trapped there in that conflict. So you pray for God to bring peace. You pray for the church to rise up. You pray for that message to go forth. So, so turn the news into a prayer time. All right, got it? Got it? All right, second one. This one's fun now, okay? So whenever you go out to eat or order food, and it is not American food, like last night I had wings. It's just kind of like here, okay? You can pray for America too. I want you to pray for that country. Even if you go to Taco Bell, you pray for Latin America, okay? Or you pray for Mexico. You go, out, you go for Italian, you're praying for Italy. You go for Chinese, you pray for China. Wherever you get international food, you pray for, you pray for your food and we pray for bless that nation. You got it? All right, now, before you leave, Turn to at least two people and tell them what nation or what continent did God lay in your heart to pray for, and then go have an amazing week. Thanks for being here. <laughs> 